For those of you who want to use your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Ephesians 4. If not, you know, you can use the uh, outline there. We printed, I think, all the scripture that we'll be using. But Ephesians 4, and I would really like to begin this morning with reading a passage that I believe is, is the foundation for our ministry here at Cabin Swamp, or probably the foundation for the ministry at any church um, in our brotherhood. So in Ephesians 4, um, verses 1 through 16, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Um, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to a lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then there will be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, this passage of Scripture that we just read here this morning, it speaks of the unity of purpose, and it also speaks of the diversity of roles within the body of Christ. And it tells us how Jesus Christ has, has distributed gifts among His people. Some have been um, uniquely gifted to lead the church by focusing all their energies on the preparation of God's people for works of service. We can clearly see that. And when all of God's people, when all of God's people have been prepared and when they've matured in their faith and you know they're equipped to function within the body, according to their own giftedness, then the church will grow not only spiritually, but it'll grow numerically as well. Um, and God's people will be protected from the cunning and the craftiness of men and, and their deceitful scheming. You know, the body of Christ will function efficiently and effectively as each member does its part. Now that's important to note that, that right there. And then the ultimate description 
of a dynamic and a mature and a growing church is that it will speak the truth in love. That's what we learn from that passage of Scripture, among other things. But that should be the go-to verse for us. Why do we exist? How are we supposed to function? How are we supposed to use our gifts? Now, the big question is, well, why bring this up this morning? Well, because there is a great challenge here for churches. Churches chase, uh, face great challenges in doing this. You see, there's a lot of churches really struggle with maintaining a balance between truth and love without compromising either of those elements. That's a tough job to do when you stop and think of it. You know, some churches, they stress um, truth to an absurd point where they lose any spirit of love. They just hammer you with the truth. You know, maybe we've all known of churches that are known for just hammering people with the, with the Bible, with the, the very letter of the law. And typically, when you look at these kinds of churches, they place great emphasis on, on the holiness of God and His retributive wrath. They look at that really strong. You know, they know all the precepts and they can quote every rule and every law and, uh, you know, of the Scripture. In fact, sometimes maybe they even go beyond Scripture and they, you know, they fill in all the gray areas with a bunch of rules and laws of their own. So often, these churches, they're categorized by the ugly pharisaical legalism. That kind of what categorizes those kind of churches. Now, on the flip side of that coin, on the other hand here, and more common in our era, in our period of time, there are those churches that, you know, they lose balance on the other side of this coin. You know, churches which in the name of love, they compromise the truth. And we've seen that happen as well. You know, and as a result, the love that they advocate is not really true love, but it's an emascul you know, emasculated shell of, of that biblical concept. You know, what these churches preach is an anemic passivity here or an unquestioning tolerance, you know, of any and all human um, shortcomings and, and perversions. And in the name of love, these truth-compromising churches are characterized by an impotent liberalism. Here, So there's a balance here, you know, and it's something that it is hard to make that balance so we're not labeled on one side or the other. So the challenge for us today is to be an effective, functioning body of believers that display a unity of, of purpose and diversity of the roles that, you know, the roles that speak uncompromisingly truth, uncompromising truth. You know, that we don't want to ever give that up, but we want to do it with a loving and gracious spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we want to do both and do them well. And friends, this can only happen when, when the members of this body recognize and begin to use their spiritual gifts in ministry. Remember that the Lord has given each of us gifts but we have to use them. And He's given each of us gifts for a specific purpose. And they go together. The Lord knows 
He planned this out. So we kind of break the chain down when we don't use our gifts. Now for four weeks now, we've been talking about all about spiritual gifts. Four messages here. We've seen their purpose, and we've categorized and then tried to define them. But today, I want to take just a little bit different approach. This will be the last message in this series. I want to take a little different approach. I want us to come together and or consider together some of the potential pitfalls um, that we as Christians must guard against as we become, as Paul said, zealous for spiritual gifts. There are some pitfalls in this, and we have to be careful. And I want us to consider six ways that God's gifts can be abused, you know, if we're not diligent. So we need to be diligent in these gifts. Number one, by far, I would say the most common abuse of spiritual gifts is ignorance. Is ignorance. You know, that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins his discourse on the body of Christ. He said, now about, he said, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. See, there's just no excuse for us not to know about or not to understand or not to discover and develop the spiritual gifts that God has given us. You see, the Bible explains them. We've studied them for a month here. So there's no excuse for ignorance about spiritual gifts. We all need to understand that we have them. You know, and we have different ones. You know, we're not gifted the same. But all of those gifts go together to make good harmony. There's not just one instrument in the orchestra, is there? There's many instruments, different sounds, different ways you play them. But when everybody does their job, it's a beautiful melody. And that's the way it has to work, you see. Now, the second way um, that we abuse spiritual gifts is through projection. Projection. Now, projection is the tendency we all have to project our gifts onto other people, expecting them to serve as we do with similar results. That is projection. You know, it seems like comparing ourselves to others is just part of our human nature. We all want to do that. We want to know if we're better or worse than the other person. We compare ourselves to others all the time. You know, I've observed in this particular temptation um, for those gifted in evangelism. I've seen that, and probably you have too. You know, spe people with, with special God-given abilities, you know, to leading others to Christ always seems like, you know, to think that everyone else should be just like them and, and feel like they do and do the things that they want to do. You know, it's true that every one of us are called to, uh, as Christians, are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. God has called all of us to be about the task of making disciples. And we all do that, perhaps in different ways. But you see, not all of us are wired like other people that can do that. You know, there are some people that just aren't comfortable with to walking up to total strangers with a big smile on their face and say, man, you know, I've got to tell you about my Jesus. You know, everybody's not wired that way. But let me tell you, there are some people that are. And thank God for them. I am glad for, for them. You see, intense feelings come with passion. You know, you have a passion about the way you feel. And though 
All of us should contribute to the church's evangelistic efforts. Not everyone is gifted the same. Everyone has different gifts. You see, I've also seen people, you know, with the gift of mercy, you know, project, uh, guilty of, of projecting that. You see, just as we all are to be witnesses, all Christians are also called to be merciful. You see, that's just part of, of being like Jesus Christ. He was merciful, so we're all called to be merciful. But you know, there are just some people who think that if they think maybe that you're not even saved if you're if you don't have a burning desire to go work at the Carroll or Terrell County Interbanks. Um, hotline mission or some other community mission once a week. They think that you're not even saved if you don't have that kind of heart. You know, and to those people, showing mercy is what um, Christianity is all about. And it's natural for them to feel that way because that's their gift. That's their passion. But you see, maybe it comes a problem when they begin to project their giftedness onto the whole church because everyone is not gifted that way. Um, when they come to believe that you know the mission of the church is only to to visit the sick and feed the hungry and clothe the naked, you know that can be a problem. I've also seen gifted leaders become angry because um, others who were not gifted to lead would not or could not be leaders. I've seen that happen. I've seen teachers who you know have felt that others were somehow less spiritual than they are because they weren't as interested in every fine point of theology as those gifted teachers were. I've seen that. You see, so all of us must learn to guard against this tendency to project our gifts onto others. We must understand that within the body, you know, our passions are all different. And God is the one who designed it that way. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know, what if we only had vanilla ice cream? People that like chocolate ice cream wouldn't care for that. Or peach ice cream. It's good that we have a thousand different flavors of ice cream. So it's good that we have all these different gifts. And we have gifts in the church. And frankly, we have some gifts in the church that's not being used. Folks, we need to use the gifts. We need to step out and use what God has gifted us with. You see, now number three, and closely related to projection is the abuse or um, is the abuse of glorification. Now, this is the tendency to hold one's gift as more special or more important than others. You know, this is the person who he kind of expects um, to be an exception rather than the example within the church. Now, it's obvious here when we're talking about this gift, the people with gifts of leadership and administration and those with the speaking gifts like the evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors, you know, they're probably the most susceptible um, to the abuse of glorification. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21, Paul writes this. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, won't you remember what Jesus said in the 23rd chapter of Matthew? He says, The greatest among you will be your servant. 
And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who at the Last Supper got up from his seat, removed his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and stooped down to watch, wash the dirty feet of the disciples because they needed a lesson in servanthood. Folks, we should never, ever be guilty of thinking that because your gifts are more upfront or they're more flashy or they're more showy that you are somehow more special or more important than others in the body of Christ whom Christ died for. Folks, all of our gifts are precious and they're needed in the church, in the body. Maybe we should all take the attitude that we are to be the example, not the exceptions. Every one of us. Now the fourth abuse of spiritual gifts is kind of the opposite of glorification. And it's, it, it's that of uh, suppression. Of suppression. Now to suppress a gift, you know, is to doubt the validity, the need, the impact of our spiritual gifts to the point that we su suppress their expression. And we don't need to do that. And it's to say, and you've heard other people say it. Maybe you've even said it. Well, I just don't have any gifts. When the Bible's sitting here telling you, you do have gifts. You know, I don't want to be the one that called God a liar. And I don't think you do either, you see. It's to say, well, my gifts, they're just not needed or they're not as important as those of others with gifts. You know, which is basically to challenge the judgment of God who would not have given you your gifts where they're not needed or where they weren't important to the functioning body. Remember, God knows the future. He knows the future of this church. He knows what's needed here. So he's gifted each of us with gifts that we need to use. And he's gifted us with gifts that we're quite capable of using with his help. It's not impossible. You see. Um, so Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 through 19. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were not all one part, or if they were all one part, where would the body be? You know, basically, suppression comes from a poor spiritual self-esteem. And we should not have that. You know, <clears throat> and maybe, we, maybe those that have it, maybe they have it because they don't understand who we really are in Christ. Maybe they don't understand how important we are in the body of Christ. You know, we forget sometimes that we are His creation. We are His workmanship. And that He has designed each of us to serve a unique purpose in His kingdom. Folks, and when we get that, when we fully grasp that, we begin to understand how essential 
each of us are to his plan. You see, as the church, we, we're not perfect because we're the people is the church. But the plan of the church is perfect. And God is the one who laid out the plan. And he said, this is the way that we need to do it. So folks, let me encourage you, never deny your spiritual gifts or the need for your gifts. Never minimize their impact. See, God gave them to you to be used for his glory. Well, closely related to suppression is number five, the abuse of coveting. Abuse of coveting. Now, suppression says my gift is not important. But coveting, it goes beyond that and says I want his gift or I want her gift. I don't want to be an eye. I want to be an ear. I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. And again, this is just a symptom of the lack of understanding, maybe even perhaps a rebellious spirit. But folks, the Lord Jesus is the Lord of the body. And we become members of the body by placing our faith and our trust in him. We must trust him. We must have trust that he knows what is best for the church as a whole and what is best for us as individuals. Do we really think that God is that smart? I think so. Yeah. So we need to trust that and act that way. Now folks, coveting is wrong. Without a doubt, coveting is wrong. The Ten Commandments forbids us to covet anything that belongs to our neighbor. When we covet Think about this. We say, God, I reject your plan, your gifts, your calm in my life. I don't trust in your will um, or your love for me. Now, we may not think about it that way, but that's exactly what we're doing when we covet. When we express a spirit of jealousy or covetousness, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, your plan wasn't good enough. We want to add to it. And we don't need to add to God's plan. It's perfect. Well, the sixth abuse of spiritual gifts that we must guard against, that's what I'm going to call gravitation. Now, this is a big one. This is one that kind of touches many of us at times. This is the very natural tendency that all of us have to gravitate to a place of comfort as opposed to a place of need. That's what we tend to do. You know, it's the tendency for people with like gifts to gravitate together in particular small groups or even congregations or, or that kind of thing. You see, teachers like being with other teachers and mercy givers like being with other mercy givers and leaders and organizers. They like being around other leaders and organizers. And evangelists, they respect and resonate with one another. You know, it kind of helps them to, to reinforce their belief that everyone should be just like them, you know, when that happens. But let me tell you something. What happens in a church when gravitation occurs is that people with certain gifts, they gravitate to certain programs or to certain small groups or to certain areas of ministry in the church. And they all kind of get together and it makes the body as a whole weak. Now, let me explain. 
For example, if you have a group of friends that is mostly teachers, and that's all that's in there, you know, they'll have gifts of knowledge and the ability to effectively communicate truths that they've discovered in the scripture. Yeah, all that's true. You know, and constantly, um, those, those groups, you know, they can have some fascinating and lively Bible studies because there's a lot of knowledge there. But when there's a crisis in that group of people um, or a need in that group of people, they all kind of stand around waiting for someone else to shepherd or to show mercy because there's none of those gifts in that group. You know, groups like this, they tend to, they tend to um, become proud and become arrogant because knowledge void of loving expression puffs up. You see, and if a, you know, if a genuine need or a crisis arises in a group, in, in one of their, their inner circles members' life, they just don't know what to do. And the members realize that they have very little connectedness, you know, with one another apart from their weekly intellectual bantering that they do. Maybe your circle of friends is filled with mercy givers, you know, you know, and every week they're just all hugging and kissing and touching and comforting one another, and everyone feels disgustingly sick or loved. <laughs> but there's this very little truth, you know, being shared in this group. And in the end, no one is growing spiritually. You see the point I'm trying to make here? You know, when like people get together, it kind of shoves out the other gifted people and there's something missing there. You see, gravitation um, helps produce weak groups and weak ministries and weak programs and weak congregations. You see, every group, every small group, every church needs a gifted pastor. Every group needs a gifted teacher. Every small group needs gifted mercy givers kind of to set the pace and, and show the way to lead out in, the, in meeting the practical needs of of other people. Every uh, ministry, every group needs leaders and those with gifts of service. See, otherwise, what you end up with is ministries that are well organized but never do anything. Or ministries that are very busy but they're categorized by chaos and, and, and they're headed in the wrong direction. Folks, we need to understand that God's plan is the best. We need all these gifts working together, not separating themselves out into small groups. Groups. Now, how do we avoid this gravitation thing? And that's by asking first this question, where can I serve best? Where can I serve best? Rather than where will I be the most comfortable? Or where will I be the most affirmed? You see, because... The bottom line is this. The spiritual gifts that God has given us are given for the common good. And we've already talked about that. They were given that we might serve one another. Folks, we really need to fight the tendency to gravitate by choosing to go where we are you know, most needed ahead of where we just feel comfortable. We need to go where we're most needed. You see, it's easy to go where we're comfortable because we can just blend into the, to the woodwork. 
We can blend into the walls and, and never be noticed. But we need to go where we're most needed, where our gift is most needed. And folks, when you hear the call of God and you answer His call to use your gifts in that very unique, special way that He's gifted you, um, God will bless you. And God will bless others through you. And God will honor you. Well, I want to summarize our study about spiritual gifts. So here's kind of the whirlwind version of our series here. God has called his church to be a team. And a team has a unity of purpose. And a team has a diversity of roles. And God has given special abilities, which we call spiritual gifts, to each member of his team. Each of us has them. And these gifts determine what role or what position on the team each member is to play. Because man is lost to sin, God's given the church evangelist. Because man is blind to sin, God has given his church prophets. And because man doesn't understand, God has given his church teachers. And because man needs encouragement and motivation, God has given his church exhorters. And because man needs shepherding, God has given his church people with gifts to pastor and to shepherd. Because man needs comfort, God has given gifts of mercy. And because man has practical needs, God has given some a special ability to serve and to help. And because man has financial needs, God has given us uh, the team's uh, special givers. Because man needs vision and organization, God has given his church leaders and administrators. And when all of God's team fulfill their roles, the needs of man are met. That is God's plan, folks, and we each need to do our job. We need to use the gifts that God's given us. So here's the question. How are you using your spiritual gifts? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the gifts that you've given us. And Father, for those that, those of us who haven't used all of our gifts, we pray that you wouldn't take them from us, but you would give us a new, a renewed interest in using them the way you designed. And Father, we pray that because we use our gifts for you, that we would be blessed, the church would be blessed, and you would be honored. Father, we want to thank you for loving us and planning for us in advance the way you have. In Jesus' name.